Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is CMO Moves, the podcast that showcases the human side of game-changing leaders. Here's their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. We hope you'll enjoy their stories and take away a few tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to CMO Moves. I'm Kate Gunning. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of IEX, which is a financial technology company based in New York City. And I had the great pleasure of joining Nadine here last August for an episode of CMO Moves. And I am so excited to have been invited back today to interview my friend Nathaniel Rue, who is one of the co-founders of Sweet Green, which is one of my favorite places to eat. Hi, Nathaniel. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me. So Absolutely. honored to be here and um, excited to dig in. Great. Why don't you start by sharing a little bit about yourself with everyone? My name is Nathaniel, one of the co-founders and chief brand officer at Sweetgreen. I was fortunate to start Sweetgreen uh, in college almost 15 years ago. But before that, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I grew up in Pasadena. I'm half Mexican, half Chinese. My dad is uh, came to this country from Taiwan when he was seven. And my mom, mom's family actually from outside Guadalajara. So I have a great diverse mix of family. And, and honestly, that's what 
kind of got me started into food. Being able to eat both types of cuisines growing up at an early age really just helped me learn food and, and really create a passion for it. So I grew up in LA and went to school in Washington, D.C. I freshman year, first day of accounting class freshman year, I'm, I sat behind John, who is now my business partner and CEO of Sweetgreen. And we bonded because we were both from L.A. He was wearing a Lakers t-shirt, and I think I was wearing a Dodgers hat, and uh, we became fast friends. And then I met Nick, who's my other co-founder, through John, because they lived on the same floor freshman year. And uh, we bonded over a passion for food. And, and we also bonded because all of our parents actually were all immigrant entrepreneurs, and we watched kind of their businesses and them as entrepreneurs growing up. So I feel like we also had a bond that way too. So fast forward to senior year, the three of us are friends and we, we were looking for what we wanted to do after college. And we shared this passion for food and we almost had this permission to do something different. And so the first problem we wanted to solve was food for ourselves. And that's where the idea for Sweet Green was born. It's amazing. Why don't you talk a little bit about the problem that you feel Sweet Green solves and how you've approached marketing Sweet Green based on what you've observed in other parts of the food industry? So when we started, we had no idea what we were doing. We had, <laughs> we had no idea how to open a restaurant, how much money it would cost, how to raise money, where to get our vegetables from. But we had this vision of how do we reimagine fast food so that fast food can be synonymous with healthy food? And that was the original thesis. And when we looked at the landscape, the, the thing that we found was that healthy food almost just had a branding problem. You know, you, mm -hmm. we looked at the food brands with the best marketing and the best stories. And a lot of times those were the brands that were the most unhealthy. And we thought, hey, why don't we just take a page out of their book? and figure out a way to tell great stories around healthy food. And so we, we put together a business plan. First business plan, I think was four pages. It was a summary page. It was a page of pictures and furniture, a page of financials, and then a cover page. So it wasn't a lot, but over, over our senior year in college, we evolved it. We convinced our landlord at our first location to give us a lease. And, and we actually, we spent our entire senior year working on uh, Sweet Green, running from construction site to classroom to construction site and opened it two months after we graduated uh, from college. So awesome. And what was it about the story that you told the landlord that got he or she to be the first to agree? We, the first time we met our landlord, she thought it was a school project. She saw our business mm -hmm. plan and she didn't think it was a real thing. Um, but through power of intention and the power of persistence, <laughs> I think yes. we called her every single day for two weeks after that. And she finally took another meeting with us and she looked at us and she said, okay, if you guys want to do this, you're going to have to get an architect and somebody that can help you design a restaurant. So go find an architect, show me some money in a bank account and then come back and, and we'll talk. So we did that. We found an architect, raised a little bit of money, mm -hmm. and she took a chance on us. And she really, she gave us our first lease. And I think that it was that kind of, I guess we were just very naive at the time and we were just very passionate 
And, and I really owe, even to this day, a lot of the success of Sweetgreen just to the, my relationship with my co-founders and the bond that we have. Absolutely. Persistence and intention are great themes for a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things in life. Will you share a little bit with our listeners about the story of the opening day? Yeah, so there's a lot of embarrassing stories that we can go, I can, we can spend two hours on, but the opening day story is actually pretty wild. Our first restaurant was 560 square feet, so very small. Our ADA bathroom, was, <laughs> exactly. Our ADA bathroom was bigger than our kitchen, <laughs> and but we were really proud of it. And the, the funny thing, the ironic thing is that the actual space was a historic building in DC that used to be an old burger shack. So we took a burger shack and we made it into a, a salad shop. And we realized we were already delayed in construction and over budget, but we saw that we had an opportunity to introduce Sweetgreen and open our doors on August 1st in 2007. So we invited all of our family, all of our friends, all of our investors to come. And, and it was a mad dash to the end, to the finish. Our parents were helping us cut vegetables inside the, the restaurant as we were opening. People were painting the building green as we were putting up our signage. And two things happened that were really funny. One, I don't know, funny, but pretty wild. One was the night before we opened our restaurant, and we actually lived across the street in an apartment that we had rented. And we would go from that apartment to the restaurant every day to open up the restaurant, accept deliveries, do training. And we had left the door unlocked to our apartment and somebody had come in and stole the laptop with all the recipes on it. Oh no. And this is before the cloud. So all of the recipes that we had been working on for the last, call it six months, had disappeared. So that night we had to stay up, the night before we were about to open, had to stay up all night and figure out and try to remember all the recipes, the dressings, the lime cilantro vinaigrette that you still see today at Sweetgreen was on that computer. Oh, wow. Um, and again, I, I owe it to the power of the partnership because mm -hmm. I think if I was doing that by myself, I probably would have freaked out and I don't know what I would have done. But having two other partners and co-founders there to share that responsibility was really powerful. Absolutely. It is really powerful when people come together and work really hard to do something. And the way you're describing opening day almost sounds like a theater production or something, right? Like you're painting the set green while you're Completely. building the prop, <laughs> right? I mean, the other, the other thing was we actually, we had ordered, this is funny, we had spent all this time ordering magnetic menu boards. And that was like our cool innovation as a restaurant. And when we got the magnetic menu boards, we tried to put them on the stainless steel frame but we realized that <laughs> magnets don't stick to stainless magnets steel. So, we, so of course we had to figure out a way to just like tape the menu boards up there and move <laughs> along. So it's small things like that, that you can plan so much, but you just have to roll with it at the end. And now flash forward to today, which we're recording on June 15th, 2021. How many sweet greens are there nationally? There are 130 locations. We actually just opened three restaurants today, which is awesome. Every day um, I talk to you, you're opening a restaurant. Yeah. yeah the last time opening Atlanta. So what's opening today? We opened uh, Wynwood in Miami, a restaurant in Houston, and, and a restaurant in Chicago. And yeah, we are 
again, have a lot of gratitude. COVID was a really challenging year for restaurants and, but really happy that there's a lot of momentum in the business and things are starting to open up. But yeah, we have 130 restaurants, I think 13 different cities and uh, over 4,000 team members who work in those restaurants. It's incredible. Congratulations. I, for one, I'm in Austin, Texas, um, as we discussed, and I just ordered a hot honey pot chicken for lunch, which I do about two or three times a week because it is so good. (laughs) So thank you for that because I enjoy that. Thank you for supporting. Very much. Absolutely. Nathaniel, you talked a lot about the relationship that you have with the founders and how powerful that's been. You also talked about the fact that you each come from families who are immigrant entrepreneurs. And you shared a little bit with me at the beginning about your love for food and how that started. And you mentioned to me when we spoke last, a really beautiful story about your grandmother. And I'm wondering if you would share a little bit about your memories with her and how that might have influenced your relationship with food leading up to the point where you launched Sweet Green. Yeah, I was very fortunate to grow up, like I said, eating a lot of Mexican food and a lot of Chinese food, but home cooked. And my grandma on my dad's side uh, used to cook the most amazing Chinese food for the family and the simplicity of her dishes, but also how healthy they were, really made an impact on me as a young kid. And when I met John and Nick, being able to interact with their cultures and almost bring, being brought into their families, uh, mm-hmm. Nick's French, Lebanese, and John's Persian. And it was such a great melting pot of so mm-hmm. many flavors and so much opportunity that I feel like it really influenced the way we thought about food mm-hmm. as a unit. That's beautiful. And I can tell you as a consumer of sweet green, I can feel all of those cultures in the menu and in the flavors of the food. I love to travel and I love eating from lots of different cultures. And so I really enjoy that about sweet green. Tell me, what do you love the most about being a founder of sweet green? Other than the partnerships that you have with your co-founders, which are clearly very instrumental in your joy day to day. I would say the best part is really the people. And as a founder, or at least what I've realized is that it's all about the journey Mm -hmm. and being able to embrace change, embrace the evolution of a bit and really create meaningful relationships with the people around you. I feel so blessed and fortunate to be able to walk the halls and work remotely with some of the most Mm -hmm. talented people creatively and in business. And that's been probably the biggest joy of being a founder. And there's an interesting dynamic because I am the founder, but I'm also the CMO and, mm-hmm. and finding the right moments to wear which hat. I, you know, there's, each, there's days where I'm really working on the functional role of marketing and, and brand and mm-hmm. kind of uh, in my own world. But then there's opportunities as a founder to take a step back and just be, whether it's solo or whether it's with John and Nick, and be Mm -hmm. able to take a step back and make sure that the things that we're doing in our functional roles align to the big vision that we had when we started. And that's a a really interesting dynamic that really grateful to have. Absolutely. And speaking of the, the CMO and head of brand role, how do you find inspiration from 
the people that are consuming sweet green? If I wasn't in the restaurant business, I feel like I would be in the music business. Uh, my first internship was at Geffen Records in LA and I always wanted to be in the music industry somehow. So when I look for inspiration, I actually go back to music a lot. One of my favorite things is pre-COVID going to see live shows. Uh, I used to live in DC next to a, a great venue called the 930 Club. And mm -hmm. we would go to shows like three times a week. And, uh, and whether it's listening to music, seeing live music, watching music documentaries, I get a lot of inspiration from that because I think it takes me outside of the day-to-day calendarization of life and and makes me more present i love music too so i'm totally with you there it's easy to get lost in a song and have an idea if you let yourself flow that way so that makes me want to ask you about one of the challenges that you've had so obviously sweet greens had tremendous success and so people might not know about any of the challenges that you've had along the way and moments where you've had to pivot and I know of one that you told me about that actually used music as a way to solve it. There's been a lot of challenges, a lot of lessons <laughs> along the way. Uh, we've, probably, we've probably made every mistake imaginable. Exactly. Learn, we call it learn forward. How do you become really good at making mistakes? But the story that you're referring to actually was when we opened our second restaurant. So we had our first restaurant, which was that small 560 square foot. It ended up doing pretty well. So we got the courage and confidence to build another one. And what we wanted to do is we wanted this one to be our flagship store. So having seats inside, it was three times the square footage. It was in the middle of DuPont Circle, which is like the Union Square of DC, which is like right in the center. And it also butted up against the the weekly farmers market fresh farm farmers market in dc and we shared a parking lot with them on sundays so it was this we we thought it was this perfect combination of a restaurant we ended up spending a lot more money on this and put our heart and soul into building this store and when we opened our restaurant april 2009 we had zero customers when we had we had nobody coming in and I remember looking to John and Nick and just going, shit, like, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to, what we, our vision for creating this restaurant probably isn't going to work. And we realized at that moment we had to do marketing and we had never really done marketing outside of just being in the restaurants every day. And to be honest, the only things that we knew how to do were to serve healthy food and to DJ. So mm -hmm. we went to Guitar Center, we bought a $400 speak DJ speaker, we put it outside, we faced it outside towards the park, and we DJed and played music every Saturday and Sunday for three months, passing out samples, introducing ourselves, because we saw that across the street, it was one of the busiest Starbucks in the entire region. And if we could just figure out a way to get people from one side of the street to our side of the street. We thought that could work. And in a wild way, it did. There was this interesting connection between food and music and creating a sense of community around that. And so that really forced us to think, how do we create more of this community in a more sustainable way? And so the next year, the restaurant started doing better. And the next summer, we actually threw a block party, a bigger kind of free music and food festival in that parking lot that we shared with the farmer's market. It was a, I think it was 800 people. I think we did it again 
And then we, uh, we wanted to do a bigger one because this was becoming our main marketing event of the year. We did it in <laughs> 2009, 10, and we met a, a concert promoter who really helped us think about what we wanted to do. And we told him that we wanted to maybe have 3,000 people and do a music and food festival where we only served healthy food. Mm-hmm. And he turned to us and he said, for the amount of money that you're going to spend on production, stage, porta potty, security, you can just rent my venue, Merriweather, which is a big venue in, D- in Maryland, for, sim- for similar or less cost. And that way you can open up your talent budget to get a real headliner. And that was the first time that we ever heard the words headliner or like talent. <laughs> we, we never really thought about this as like a big event like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, send me a list of names that you want to play your salad festival and I'll work on it. So as a joke, we wrote Daft Punk, Jay-Z, The Strokes, Arcade Fire. We thought, it, we thought it, we were just, again, just joking around and we sent him this list, ultimate wish list. And two weeks later, he came back to us and he said, okay, The Strokes want to play your salad festival. And that was the other first time we heard the word festival in the same sentence. And so we looked at each other again and we said, okay, this is an opportunity to push our chips in and really take a chance on doing something different that most restaurant companies with call it six or seven restaurants would never do. And we would have to, in order for us to really make it happen and not lose money, we would have to sell it out 25,000 tickets. Mm. So we ended up booking the strokes, filling up the rest of the lineup. We, we called it the Sweet Life Festival. And within, I think it was a month, we had sold out the festival. And what was really amazing about it was not only was it a cool music event, but we really spent the time switching out all the concessions inside mm-hmm. of the venue to Sweetgreen, to great local kind of other food vendors in, in the DC community and things that were just more in line with our values. And so it really became, we ran that music festival for six years in DC. And it was this nice, it was this interesting tension of seeing rock and roll shows, but eating quinoa at the same time. And uh, over the years, we had amazing headlining artists. We had Kendrick twice. We had Phoenix, Haim. We had The Weeknd and a lot of other great performers. And it was just what it allowed us to do. It gave us permission to be more than just a salad company or a fast casual or fast food business, it, it pushed us into a kind of a new way of, it, it forced us as founders to really think about how we could tell the story of food in a different way. I love that story. So I thank you for sharing it. And again, I think the beautiful examples of persistence and intention are there throughout the whole story that you just told. And What I love the most about it as a marketer myself is how you've allowed yourself to really be fluid and to try something and then assess how people react and then adjust accordingly and to allow yourself to make brave, bold moves that might be unexpected as a result. So thank you for sharing that story. It's one of my favorite. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about another bold move you made recently with Naomi Osaka. I think people who are watching probably would love to hear directly from you about how that took place. 
Sure. So it, this idea of telling stories through food and that, and even starting with Sweet Life, that idea that we could use music and food together really was a light bulb moment for us and how we could almost integrate people's passion points, whether it was the chef world, music, fitness, and now sport, and connect that to the power of healthy food. And so really what kicked this off was Sweet Life Festival and, and connecting people who really believed in what we were doing and, and leveraging their platforms to help us share the story of Sweet Green. And in the past, we've done, we worked with musicians. We've worked with great chefs. Last year, we did a great collaboration with David Chang around the power of kelp and sustainability. And this year, which is really exciting, is are we working, we're, we're partnering with Naomi Osaka. And it's the first time we've ever done anything like this as a company. First time we've ever mm -hmm. sponsored a global athlete. And it's been an amazing journey. One, because when I met her, she was already a regular customer of Sweetgreen. And she also has a passion for food and what fuels her during her training. But even more, getting excited about changing this paradigm of sponsorship around promoting more kind of brands and opportunities that speak to this healthier generation. And in the world of sport, again, it, there's a lot of unhealthy types of foods and unhealthy sponsorships. And she and, and Sweetgreen really just wanted to shift that narrative a bit. And, mm -hmm. and so that's what we got really excited about. So it's a year-long partnership. We're, right now, we're actually selling her bowl on our menu. And what's great about it is it's just her regular order at Sweetgreen. It's nothing fancy. It's just what she normally gets. That's and awesome. she took time for herself to, to prioritize mental health. And at Sweetgreen, we think mental health is just health as well. We're big supporters of her and what she believes in. And we just think that as a brand, connecting with people who really share our values and yeah. stand up for what they believe in is an important part of Sweetgreen. Absolutely. How about critical skills? of marketers or values that the marketing team really leans into at Sweetgreen. Can you talk a little bit about that maybe and how the marketing team is structured? Yeah. So the team today is essentially there's a marketing team and then a brand and creative team and, co and communications team. And they all work together to really almost as a mini in-house agency inside of Sweetgreen. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we really prioritize is how we can just, we call it move at the speed of culture and move faster because as things happen so quickly these days and how do we essentially move quickly but stay really connected to the mission of the company. And mm -hmm. we've tried to design that as much in-house as possible. And, and what I guess the way we think about it is how as a brand team, can we connect food and culture together to change that narrative? And we do that by providing access in terms of opening new restaurants and delivery points and other channels like our outpost business, but also through education. And, and I think that's less in the academic sense, but more in this idea that how do we use great storytelling and marketing and branding to help educate our customers about the importance of what they eat? and take them along the journey. Like Sweetgreen is our value proposition and our tone of voice will, will never be very prescriptive. We don't want to tell you how to diet. We're not going to tell you 
you know, how much weight to lose. It's more on how can we take you on the journey with us to show mm-hmm. you from seed to bowl, like how things are made. And also remind people that we as a company don't have all the answers. Like we were 130 locations today. We're still very small. And this world of healthy fast food at scale is still a new category. So we just want to remind people that, again, we're not going to tell you what to do. Yes. But we want to just take you along the journey with us. Awesome. So persistence and intention, learning forward and moving at the speed of culture. Those are three key things. (laughs) I'm going to write those down. I'm going to be intentional about all three of those moving forward. So from seed to bowl, you've said to me just now and last week when we met also, and you shared a little bit about the innovation of the business model and the supply chain. And I just thought it was very interesting. And I thought that the listeners would love to hear a little bit from you about how you're thinking about that for Sweetgreen. Yeah. So at Sweetgreen, we think about our almost as that as a food platform. So from supply chain all the way to what you get in your bowl and Mm -hmm. starting from uh, the farms and all of our vendors, we actually work with over 200 farmers and suppliers across the country. And the way we think about our supply chain is divided into it's 10 different regional networks where um, we can source locally, pretty much it's either local, organic or regenerative almost 75% of the time. So we really are trying to figure out if we want to have 500 or a thousand restaurants, how do we really make sure that we build the foundation the right way on the supply chain side so that we can walk the walk. So from the supply chain, then we really spend time in menu design. Uh, So we have a great culinary team here that works uh, hand in hand with our team on the marketing side to really think about uh, menu expansion. How do we think about dinner? Like that hot honey chicken plate you had was our first gateway into dinner, getting people excited about that, that day part. And, and working with them, even on things like the Naomi Osaka collaboration or more kind of interesting seasonal bowls like the one that we did with David and serving kelp on our menu. So I think what's nice about the menu team is that they're really interested in a system for scale, but also Mm -hmm. leaving holding space for those really innovative opportunities to help talk about issues like sustainability or food access or soil health that are really meaningful to our customers. That's awesome. I love that you're able to be creative with the menu, but also you're making sure that you're selecting ingredients that you can scale so that people can get healthy food. I think you talked a little bit about changing the way fast food works at the beginning. And that's obviously something that you don't get when you typically eat fast food, right? Like you get the ingredients that are easy to acquire so that's one of my favorite things about Sweet Green too, is that I know I'm going to get a creative dish that's going to delight my taste buds. And I know that it's going to come from a farm that I'm sure I would love to support myself because I love food too. So Exactly. And we actually try to just, again, not having all the answers, we just put all of our suppliers on. Every restaurant has a chalkboard call it our like like yeah, local farmers that. list and, and not everything is local but everything is honest in terms of our sourcing yeah. and we're proud of it and so we really just love this idea of putting everything that we use on our walls so you can see them 
I love that transparency. It's one of my favorite things to read when I'm in a sweet green. <laughs> it's another really creative part of the in-store experience, I think. So I love breaking rules in marketing. I know you also love breaking rules in marketing and in business. Tell me about some rules you've been breaking. So I don't feel like we've followed any of the rules over the last 15 years. And I, I personally, I never grew up as a marketer or worked in an agency. But I think what is interesting about Sweet Green is that it's this combination of being founder-led and brand-led that really helps us make decisions that may not be the most obvious decision, but feels right for the business. And again, I'm fortunate because yes, I am technically the CMO of Sweetgreen, but I have two other CMOs that I sit in the same office with that I get to bounce ideas off of and use each other as a filter for some of the crazy ideas that we may all have. Okay. And so Again, I just have that added bonus of the responsibility of the brand is it doesn't just rest on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it doesn't just rest on the three of our shoulders. It really is integrated into the entire company. But to be able to make decisions that may not be the obvious and have two other supporters that really stand behind it have been really helpful over the years. And one of the things that it seems like you've done well because you're enjoying your working dynamics still to this day is divide up the responsibilities that each of you have as founders so that it's really clear what each of you is responsible for, but then how you can come together to collaborate. So do you want to share a little bit about how you've divided up the key responsibilities amongst the three of you? Sure. So our wives all joke that we, because we spend so much time together, we almost <laughs> prepared each other for marriage. And again, we've been working together 14 and a half years, sitting in the same office, traveling together. So we, we do spend a lot of time. So I think it's that the inherent proximity of that relationship that really keeps it together. But we've, we've had to learn how to evolve as founders, but also as leaders of our own functions. And I think there was a moment, I would say four years ago, we were all co-CEOs for, for the first 10 years of the business. And there was a moment when we realized that we probably should divide and conquer a bit more so that we can have a wider breadth of the company and, and take on more. And so that was a really pivotal transition for us as founders. And the way it works is John's the CEO and Nick is responsible for everything food and supply chain. And um, I'm responsible for all brand marketing creative. And in an interesting way, like I said before, we each have our functional duties and projects that we manage. But at the same time, there's an interesting balance of making sure that we allocate time just to be with ourselves and as founders to be. And, and I think that balance of not getting so in the weeds of projects, but being able to pull out and see the bigger vision has been really important. So we're almost out of time, but I have to ask you the most important question because it's the question that the Adweek crew asks everyone who joins CMO Moves. So to be a guest, you have to have an answer. I would love to know if you weren't 
the founder of Sweetgreen and the, the CMO of Sweetgreen, what else would you be doing with your career? That's a great question. I would <laughs> probably do be doing something in the music business or creatively in music. I don't know what that is, whether that's in a studio or working on something together with a band. I just, for me, the creative process behind music is something that's so pure and inherently a story. And, and I think I would find myself in that world somehow. Beautiful. I could definitely see that having spent this time with you. And then maybe one last one before we go, Sure. if you can, is there anything that's coming up for Sweet Green that you're very excited about that you want to preview here? We, it's out, but I'd love to talk about it. We just launched our new earth, summer menu. Mm -hmm. It's our summer menu and it's one of my favorite menus because it's peach and burrata season. And we have our, it's one of our favorite, like most beloved salads that comes back on the menu. It's a summer salad. We're doing berries and burrata in certain regions where they're local and then peach and burrata where the peaches are local. And so it's a really delicious dish. And if you haven't had it yet, I would really recommend trying it. Something tells me that in that new Atlanta, Georgia, sweet green, you might That's be right. serving this. <laughs> Get your peaches from Georgia like Justin Bieber. There's a music inspiration for you. There we go. There we go. Next collaboration. <laughs> I'm going to order that salad for you and listen to Peaches. That'll make my day. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been really fun and I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And thanks to Adweek for having me back as a host. Wishing Heidi all the best on maternity leave, of course. And... I hope everyone enjoys Nathaniel's story. I know I have, and I really appreciate you sharing so many of the really special moments that you've had over the course oh, of thank you. this journey. Thank you for having me, and so honored to be a guest on this show, and we'll connect in person soon. Yes, for sure we will. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit ViralGrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.